Uh, let's pray together, and then we're going to be back in Ephesians 1 this morning. But let's pray first. Lord, we thank you for this glorious day. Uh, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together uh, as your people, uh, to hear from your word, uh, to lift our voices together, to be able to come to you in prayer. Uh, as we uh, open your word this morning, our prayer is exactly what we're going to look at today, that you would enlighten uh, our hearts, the, the, the eye of our hearts, that you would show us more fully who you are and what you've done for us, that we would truly know just the fullness of the way you love us and what you've done for us. And so we pray that you would do that work in and through us. We thank you that you give us the Holy Spirit and that we cannot do this without you. And so we ask that you would be the one that would come and illuminate our hearts and our minds, that you would expand our vision of who you are and what you've done for us and how you love us. And so we thank you for this opportunity to be here together today. We pray that you would be glorified in all that is done and said uh, and sung and uh, prayed uh, here today. And we thank you. We pray all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Um, I want to just ask a question. I want you to think about this for just a second. Uh, if someone were to ask you uh, something that you are an expert in, uh, something that you, you really know, you would say you really know, whatever that is, I want you to think about that for a second. Maybe it pertains to your job. Maybe it pertains to something you do around your house or in your life or something that you would say that you really know, that you're really an expert in, that, that you could uh, explain, that you could teach to someone else that you can do without having to uh, uh, take a lot of instruction to do it. You just instinctively know how to do it. Uh, and I want you to just think about whatever that is for a minute. As I was thinking about expert in different things, um, actually, Mike McKay came to mind because Mike's an expert, as far as I can tell, in a lot of things, one of them being as a carpenter, but then also as in, in cutting down trees. The guy cuts down huge, giant, scary trees and does it with great skill, and he knows what he's doing. And so a lot of us go to Mike when we need a tree cut down because he's an expert in it. He knows what he's doing. And if you were to talk to Mike about cutting down trees, he'd be able to give you um, some head knowledge on that. He'd be able to tell you, like, uh, this is the kind of saw he uses, and these are the things he takes into consideration, and here's some ways that you can easily hurt yourself if you're not careful. And he can tell you all these, these head knowledge things because he knows it. But if, but if we really started to think about him really knowing how to do it, and he said, OK, that's great. And he relays some of that information to you and he tells you those things. And he said, yeah, but I've got a tree that I need cut down. Can you cut it down for me? And he went, no, 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 no I don't actually do it. I just know about it and I can tell you about it. And I know all the things, but you're going to have to get somebody up. You go, well, he's not really an expert in cutting down trees if he can't actually cut the tree down. Right. Like there's there's part of that expertise that actually comes with an action of being able to do it. And I think that's true in anything. When we start to talk about something that we really know, there's some part of it that we actually do. Right. Like I know a lot of people that know a lot about like golf. Right. They watch a lot of golf. They have really nice clubs. They know how to hold it. And then you go out there and they start to play and they're like, yeah, he's not an expert in golf. Like he doesn't really know how to play golf. Right. Or, or think if you went to a mechanic and you, he told you all about what your car needed and how to do it. And you say, great, can you fix it? And he goes, no, 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 I don't work on cars. Right. Like, I just know how to do it. You go, well, he doesn't really know what he's doing. Right. There, there comes with knowing, truly knowing to the depths of something and being an expert in it, an action that goes with it. 
I think we could agree on that. To know something is more than just the head knowledge, just knowing about it. It's to actually be able to live that out and to do it. And I start there this morning because as we're going to pick back up in Ephesians chapter 1, where we've been the last few weeks, if you've been with us, uh, we're going to pick up in verse 15, and Paul's going to turn and he's going to begin to pray for the church. Right? This, church, this letter was written to the church in Ephesus, but it was a circular letter that went around to all the early churches. It's written to us today as believers. And what he's going to do is he's going to turn and he's going to begin to pray. And he's going to begin to pray that we would truly know what he's just told us in the first 14 verses. That we would really know it. And he's going to pray uh, for this prayer of knowledge and that we would understand what he's saying. But what I want us to think about this week and next week, we're really going to do this in two parts, is this idea of truly knowing something and the way that Paul is praying that we would know God is something more than just a head knowledge. It can't be just a head knowledge. Sometimes within the church, maybe you've heard it said before, but when we start to think about things like this, it's not just a head knowledge, but it's head and it's heart and it's hands, if you've ever heard that before. That it's a head knowledge. There is a cognitive part of knowing and understanding and using your mind and thinking. But as we do, it begins to get down into our heart the way the Bible talks about our heart, the seat of our emotions, our thought life, the way we react to things, the way we see things. And then ultimately it works its way out in the way that we live. And to truly know something in a biblical sense is all three of those. It's not just a head knowledge. And sometimes within the church, we can kind of get into this thinking of like, yes, I've got the right doctrine and I know it and I can explain it and I can say it. And so therefore, I know in the way Paul's talking about here, but that's not what he's talking about. It's far deeper and far greater than just a head knowledge. It's a head knowledge that begins to affect your emotions and then begins to live out in your life. And so it becomes heart and head and hands. And so as we look at what he's praying for, this is the way I want us to look at it this morning. First, we're going to ask, what is the key here to understanding this knowledge that Paul wants us to have, that he's praying for us, that we would know this? What is the key to it? Secondly, how do we begin to grow in that knowledge? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. It's primarily going to focus on this idea of head and heart. And then next week, we'll pick up and we'll continue to look at the idea of our heart, then working its way out in our actions. And so this is kind of two parts. We're not going to do all of that today because there's a lot to cover in that. But here's one disclaimer I just want you to hear as we go into that today. Do not take what we look at today where we talk primarily about head and then heart and then not here next week where we talk about how we then begin to live that as truly knowing what God's calling us to. Because if we get one part without the other, we have an incomplete picture of what he's talking about here. And so all of the sermons, if you haven't been here, like this is this is building on what he said last week, what is true of us in Christ, that we would know this. And so you can always go back and listen to them They're on the website, the podcast. You can get those. If you're not sure how to do that, let us know and we'll help you figure that out. The same as if you're not going to be here or for some reason you can't be here next week. Go listen to the second part next week because it makes this whole together. So. With that in mind, let's consider what he first says, the key to understanding what he's what he's saying here, what he's praying for us. And so pick up with me in verse 15. And so he says, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. 
remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you know you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? And so I'm going to stop right there for just a second. And the first thing I want you to see when Paul starts to pray this prayer for us and the key that we begin to to see is when he says, for this reason, I'm praying for this. He's summarizing what he just says, but then he says, for this reason. And then he says, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. And the first key that we have to start with to have this knowledge that he is understanding, you have to have put your faith in Jesus. It's that simple and straightforward. Everything he just says is true of us in the preceding passage is all centered on the person and work of Jesus. We looked at that last week in him, through him, by him. All of it is what Jesus does for us. And so he says, for this reason, I'm now praying that those of you who have faith in the Lord Jesus and notice he says, Lord Jesus, when he puts Lord in front of it, he's saying what he's telling us is that Jesus coming to faith in him is seeing him as the Lord of all things, not a faith in Jesus as a good teacher, not not a faith in Jesus as someone who who's got some helpful things to say that can help me in my everyday life, but he's pushing you to see Jesus is Lord of your life, that Jesus is God. And so when we start to look at the key to understanding anything he's praying for us here, that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened to see this, we have to rest in seeing that it focuses on the person and work of Jesus. I'll say the same thing in verse 19. He says, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? And so he's kind of putting it, uh, setting it off in that way. For this reason, if you see Jesus as Lord, there's all these things available. And I want you to know this, but it's for those who believe. And he's pointing us to Jesus being central in all of this. And so this is not something unique to Paul. This is all the way through the Bible. In fact, Jesus is the one that says this most emphatically. No one can come to the Father but by me, is what Jesus says. I am the way and the truth and the life. There's no other way to grow in your knowledge and truly know the father except through Jesus. And he says that over and over. He says, I'm the only way. Or or, or when the disciples turn to him, they say, show us the father. And he looks at him and he goes, how can you say that? You've seen me. You have seen the father. That it's through Jesus that we have and grow in this knowledge that Paul is praying for us. And so it has to center on the person and work of Jesus. In fact, if we miss this part, we can do nothing as far as growing in this. Jesus himself says, apart from me, you can do nothing. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me, you're going to bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. He says that in John 15. That there's nothing that we can accomplish or see or grow in truly knowing if we're not resting in the finished work of Jesus. That's the key to all of this. And if we miss that part, we miss everything else that Paul's going to get at here. Everything that he's praying for us and wanting us to see. And so it has to be right at the center that we're seeing that the key is Jesus. And so we have to understand that Jesus is the one who's come to do what we could never do for us. 
and in him is all wisdom and knowledge. In fact, Paul will say that in Colossians 1 as he makes a very similar point. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, I want you to know what a great struggle I have for you and those of Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. So he's writing to the early church and he says, I struggle for you and I want you to know this. And it's similar to here. I'm praying for you. I want you to really know this. And he says that your hearts might be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. And then he says, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so we're talking about Paul praying that you would know that this is true. And then he tells us in Colossians 1 that all wisdom and knowledge is found in Jesus. And everything that he said here that only comes through Christ, Jesus is the key. He's the absolute key to understanding anything he's saying here. And if we miss that, we miss it completely when we start to grow in the knowledge of who God is. And so there's there's something here that that's important that we don't uh, step off and miss in this. Sometimes when we start to get into thinking about growing and truly knowing God and growing in our understanding of him, we can say, yes, I'm saved by Christ. Yes, he took my sins and he saved me and it's Jesus and I've asked him in my heart and I believe that. And now I need to get onto the work of growing. And what happens a lot of times is the gospel becomes assumed like that was the starting point, And now we're going to move on to some other things. Now we're really going to grow and we're really going to know and we're really going to dig in and we're going to go deep and we're going to get all these things. And we assume the gospel. But we cannot assume the gospel. We can't leave that behind. We can't act like, oh, that's the important starting point, And now we move on past that. No, sometimes even within the church, if you've grown up in the church, I'm sure you've heard this at different times. We talk about we want to get to the meat. Have you ever heard that term before? We want to get to the meat of the word. If you haven't heard that before, it comes from Hebrews chapter five. And in Hebrews, it's warning that there's people that have been believers, but they're still baby in their faith. They haven't grown. And so the author of Hebrews makes the analogy that a baby needs a bottle, right? A baby takes milk. And you should by now be able to have solid food, but you still have to be on the milk, the elementary things, and you're not really ready to move on to the meat. And so people will say that within the church. I want to grow. I want to get to the meat. I want to have the solid food and the important things. And then sadly, what ends up happening or what they say or what they mean by that is now we need to move on to the important things, the meat of the word, like end times theology. Or really obscure passages. Or let's argue about this verb tense or this word. And we get into all these really heady things. And we start to kind of debate and argue and over that. And now we're getting to the meat. And in fact, all of Hebrews says something very different. It says become furiously obsessed with the gospel and how Jesus is better than everything else. And I think in the context and what we're talking about is the meat of the word of truly knowing God is understanding and seeing the fullness and the breadth of the good news of what Jesus has done for us. And how it affects every single area of our life and everything that we are and what our identity is and how we function and the future that we have and the past in which God has done and everything that Paul just said in those first 14 verses. 
But he talked about our past in love. He predestined us before the foundation of the world. He talks about our present being adopted in as sons and daughters. And he talks about our future, that we have this glorious inheritance. And he says every single bit of it and every inch of who you are is rooted and found in Jesus. In the good news of what he's done. And so when we assume the gospel and we move on to something else, we miss the very key that holds it all together. So I don't want to assume the gospel ever. The good news, the gospel is that we have sinned and we have turned away from God. We have alienated ourselves from the very one who made us and created us where we will find our fullness of hope and love and joy and everything we're desiring. And we can do nothing to ever get it back on our own. But God is so good and so gracious and so loving. He's come to do what we can't do for us. He says, I will take your sin and I will give you my righteousness. I will restore you. And not only am I going to restore you, I'm going to restore the entirety of this broken creation. And I'm going to set it all right. And you have this glorious future and hope. And it's all completely and totally by what Jesus has done and nothing else. And so why Paul can say in and by and through him you're forgiven. In and by and through him you're redeemed. In and by and through Jesus you're adopted. You are blessed. You are given an inheritance. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. In and by and through Jesus all things will be united together in him. He's the center of every single bit of it. Your past, your present, your future, every part, and it all holds together in the gospel. And so when we talk about Paul saying, I want you to know this. I want you to know this to your depths. I want you, the eyes of your heart heart to be enlightened that you may know it centers on the person and work of Jesus. So that's the key. But how do we actually then begin to grow in that? Go, okay, yes, it's Jesus. And I believe that. How do we then begin to grow in it? Well, look at what he says there in verse 16 and 17. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. It talks about the spirit giving you uh, wisdom and then revelation of the knowledge of him. And so when we think about growing and knowing who God is or, or even step away from that for just a second, knowing anyone, any relationship in your life, how do you know someone about your spouse or your closest friend or or whoever it is, your loved ones in your life that you're closest to? How do you know them? And there's an element of that. Where there has to be some sort of self-revelation for you to know anyone. They have to reveal something to you about who they are. You have to listen. You ask questions and you converse and you listen to their answers. And Right, you can know a lot by being around someone and observing and watching. But to actually know them, know them in the way Paul's talking about, you have to hear what's going on internally. You have to listen. You have to have a conversation. They have to reveal something about themselves to you. There has to be some element of self-revelation. And so I want you to think about how that works. So here's the question. How has God revealed himself to us? The Bible says it's, it's his word. He's given us his word that we could know him. 
But then it also tells us that Jesus is the word, right? The spirit that he's praying for, the spirit of wisdom that's coming, that God is giving us, the Holy Spirit in us illuminates God's word that he's written to us, that was written through Jesus, who is the word. And then Jesus is the fullness of the revelation of that, right? Hebrews 1, Jesus is the fullness of the picture. And so we go, well, how has God revealed himself to us? In his word. And in Jesus. And then the spirit working in us to illuminate that to us. And so we go, well, how do we know and how do we begin to grow in him? And the answer I'd say to you is that you open God's word and you begin to interact with him. And you begin to hear what God has told you about what he's like, what he's revealed, his self-revelation to us in his word. And so when we want to know God, we, we really want to know him. We, we come to his word. And he meets us there. And he illuminates our hearts and our minds through the spirit to show us what he's doing or what he said and who he is and the way he's working in his word. And as a as a church, we profess this. We say we believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God, that God has revealed himself to us and we can know him in this way. But here's the question that I think we all need to wrestle with. Do we actually know that? Do we know it in the way that Paul's praying that we would know it? Do you really know that this is God's word? Regularly, I talk to people about reading God's word and a lot of times it's like, man, it's hard to have enough time. And that's true. I know we all have pressures and different things in our life and we're busy and to carve out time to sit down and seek God in his word. Sometimes it's difficult. But when we say that, and I've said that before, I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. The truth is, when I say that, I don't really know that this is God's word. I don't know it in the way that Paul's praying that we would know it. You know how I know that? I don't have time sometimes. I'm too busy. Well, I have time to watch a four hour long football game. So what I know, what I really believe to my depths is it's more important that I carve out time to watch a football game than it is to seek God in his word. Oh, that's convicting. And the truth is, in those moments, I don't really know it in the way Paul's saying, I want you to know it. Nothing wrong with watching football game. That's not my point. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. But I want you to think about what it would really mean if we really know that God has spoken to us in his word. And so we begin to understand and be shaped by what his word says and really come to it. If we want to grow in knowing God, it's going to start with knowing the way he's revealed himself to us. And then I want you to think about what his word actually says. If it's his word and if we believe that and we seeking him in it, he says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Your mind, the head part, the knowledge part informs the heart part and your emotions and what you truly love. And he says, so be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I read a really, really depressing article this week. And it was talking about the church and and, uh, I I believe it was it was Gospel Coalition. I think Tim Keller wrote it. I'm not I don't remember because I read it quickly and I don't remember who wrote it, but I think it was Tim Keller. And he was talking about the issue that the church is facing. And what he said is the church is being more and more shaped in its worldview. 
by news and outlets and pundits and talking heads than it is from the Bible. And he said, that's a huge problem. Because we're growing in a worldview that is actually at odds with what God's word says because we're not letting God's word be the thing that renews our mind. And I want you to think about the things that you listen to on a weekly basis. What are you spending the most time? What are the voices that you're hearing the most? Because if, you, if you're listening constantly to, to news or the, the radio or whatever it is or however you get that and you're letting those things speak into you, it, and it doesn't matter which outlet or where, that's not my point at all. It doesn't matter what you're listening to. But what you're getting a huge dose of is not a biblical worldview. It's not based and rooted on the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And you're being shaped. And we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind, but it's not what God's word says. And so we struggle when we see we, we struggle at even seeing the things that don't line up with God's word because we're not letting that stand over us and renew our mind on a daily basis. And so if we want to know God in the way that Paul's talking about, it, it starts with the way he's revealed himself to us in his word. But as we do that, as we come to him in his word, we have to remember that Jesus is the key. How quickly we can kind of get off topic or, or off seeing Jesus is the central of it if we don't read the Bible from that lens. The gospel always has to be the center. And so when you read the Bible... I would say when you look at it, is it just things that you go, here's some good things I can add to my life? Or is it revealing how much more you need Jesus in every area of your life? Is it pointing you, are you reading the Bible? Or are you hearing things from the, the lens of like, okay, these are the things that I now need to get serious about and do myself? Or is it showing you that I can't do this and I desperately need Jesus in every area of my life? Another way to say it is who's the hero? When you read the Bible and you're working your way through it, are you placing yourself in the story and you're the hero and now I need to do this? Or are you seeing that Jesus is the hero and he's already done it? And it's so important that we come to it that way and we see the key of Jesus being the center because otherwise it's just going to crush you. And then you're going to be trying to do it in your own power rather than looking to Jesus and what he's done and what is true about you in Christ. And so if we want to know, we come to God's word, but we're seeing Jesus as the sinner. But then look at what he says here in verse 18. He's praying for us that we'd have the eyes of our heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saint? And I want you to focus in on that phrase there where he says that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And if you really dig into what Paul's saying and the language there and the way he's saying it, what he's pointing to you is he says, I want you to understand how you were called. Which is what he just spent a long time on in verses one to 14. And I want you to understand that you can rest in God's calling on your life in the sense of he is the one that's got you and called you and brought you into this. And so to know the depths of who God is, it has to be uh, surrounded or, or, or centered in the grace of God in your life. And, and so go, look, go back and look at what he says in verse 4. 
same chapter, just chapter one, verse four, is he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we've been we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. And so he says there to the praise of his glorious grace and according to the riches of his grace, he set his love and affection on you before the foundation of the earth. And so if you're going to understand the depths of who God is and the way he loves you, it has to be centered in his grace. It's the only way it works. And if we miss that, that it centers on what Jesus has done for us and God's glorious grace to us, then we're not worshiping God in the way he's revealed himself. We're not knowing who he is. And he says, I want to remind you, I want your heart to be enlightened, that your hope is set and that he has called you, that he is the one that's doing it. That he did it in eternity past and he's doing it now and he's going to finish what he says. And it's all dependent on his glorious grace. That's really good news. And if you want to know the depths of who God is, it has to be centered in his grace. And the way that he loves us and the way that he's called us. And so often we forget that. I go, yes, it's all Jesus and he did it. And I had a really bad day today, so I'm not sure that God's pleased with me. I go, what? It's not what it says. It's not who God is. It's not the way he revealed himself. But we wrestle with that all the time. And so Paul's saying, I want your heart to be enlightened. And with the spirit of wisdom, I want the Holy Spirit to, to come in and flood your life and point you to how glorious God's grace is. That you would rest in what he's doing and how he loves you. And so look at that phrase just a second there. We'll end with this this morning. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know. And as we begin to think about what he's talking about here, seeing that Jesus is the key and it's through his word and understanding God's grace, the eyes of your heart enlightened begins to talk about your internal life. Your emotions, uh, your psychology, the way you see things, the way you process things. He says, I want the eyes of your heart to be so enlightened that the gospel has flooded the way you think. And the way you operate and the way your emotions operate. And I want it to be informed by the hope that you have in Jesus. To really know God, it begins to shape your affections. It begins to change your emotions and the way you deal with things that come at you and to truly know it in all things. And so that's why we talk a lot here about wanting to be fluent in the gospel. That is applying the gospel to every area of your life. And what I find to be very helpful and Luke's been spending time in the equipping class talking about this very thing is how do I take the gospel and I apply it to the negative emotions I'm feeling in my life? When I'm really, really anxious, 
What if this doesn't work out? And what if this doesn't go the way I think it should? And I'm not sure how this is going to be. I'm forgetting that the God of the universe loves me and he is in control of all things. And I need the gospel to now come and bear witness into those areas of my life where I'm not fully knowing who God is. So it means to be fluent in the gospel. And every day I get up and I forget it. Every day I begin to worry or be anxious or compare myself to other people or I struggle with this or I struggle with that. And I go through all these things and I need the gospel afresh to come in and inform the way I think. To enlighten the eyes of my heart to show me how wonderful and gracious God is. And so when we talk about what the meat of the word is. It's that the gospel informs everything about you, your identity and the way you operate and the way you talk to people and the way you go through your life. And when I get angry or I get frustrated, I go, why am I so? And you know what happens? I'm not believing what is true about me in Christ in that moment. And I need to hear the gospel again. And I need to hear it from my brothers and sisters in the faith reminding me. I think that's what discipleship looks like. Who is God and what has he done and what does that mean for us now? And who are we in Christ? And we begin to encourage one another in those things. And if we want to know the fullness of what Paul is talking about, this has to be a regular part of our life. We're not going to know it completely until Jesus returns. Which is why we get to the end of the Bible in Revelation. It says, come, Lord Jesus, come. Oh, so I want to know that. I want to see the fullness. I want to know in the way Paul is praying that we know. But the truth is, every day I get up and I forget a little part of it. And if I want to know the fullness, I'm going to seek God in his word. I'm going to see how Jesus is the hero in every bit of that. I'm going to continue to speak the truth to one another, pointing one another to the fullness of the gospel. And what happens is it goes from your head to your heart. And it begins to change your affections. It's a wonderful promise of God. As he changes your affections, you get to then begin to live out the things that you most want to do, which is glorifying him. And that's what it looks like to fully know what Paul's praying for. And so next week we'll pick up with that idea of how our emotions begin to change, but then they begin to live out in our life in every area. Spoiler alert, you never fully get that completely together until Jesus comes back. But God is gracious and faithful to continue to change us from one degree of glory to another. And the gospel's right there central in all of it. That God loves you completely and totally because of what Jesus has done. And he's not done with you. And he's going to take you to the end to finish what he started before the foundation of the earth. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. We thank you that as we seek to know you in the fullness of who you are, that we are still in process. And we thank you for the truth that you love us. 
that you are at work in us, that you are renewing us day by day. And we can only just say thank you. Pray that you would continue to do that work in and through us. That you would enlighten the eyes of our heart that we would see and know you more fully. That we would be overwhelmed with your greatness. That you continue to bring us from one degree of glory to another. And we thank you that you are going to finish all of it. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.